book of John, chapter 1, I will be reading, starting with verse number 43. John 1, 43. The day following, Jesus would go forth into Galilee, and findeth Philip, and saith unto him, Follow me. Now Philip was of Bethsaida, the city of Andrew and Peter. Philip findeth Nathanael and saith unto him, We have found him of whom Moses and the law and the prophets did write. Jesus of Nazareth, the son of Joseph. And Nathanael said unto him, Can there any good thing come out of Nazareth? Philip saith unto him, Come and see. Jesus saw Nathanael coming to him and saith unto him, Behold, an Israelite indeed, in whom is no guile. Nathanael saith unto him, Whence knowest thou me? Jesus answered and said unto him, before that Philip called thee, when thou wast under the fig tree, I saw thee. Nathanael answered and saith unto him, Rabbi, thou art the Son of God, thou art the King of Israel. Jesus answered and saith, said unto him, Because I said unto thee, I saw thee under the fig tree, Believest thou, thou shalt see greater things than these. And he saith unto him, Verily, verily, I say unto you, Hereafter ye shall see heaven open, and the angels of God ascending and descending upon the Son of Man. It is from this encounter that Nathaniel had with Jesus Christ that I want to speak to you on the subject under the fig tree, and you may be seated. Some of the best advice that a person who is just beginning their search for the Lord can receive is if they are told to begin by reading the New Testament book of John. The very first verse of John begins the exact same as the first book of the Bible in the beginning. And John concludes with the amazing assertion that even the world itself would not be able to contain all of the books that would be necessary if he were to record every single one of the marvelous deeds accomplished by Jesus when he walked this earth in the flesh. And in between those two statements, we read so many of those stories that have fascinated mankind since they were first told. Stories of miracles and deliverance. A Savior who is tempted in all points like us, yet without sin. Our God 
in the flesh, revealed to humanity, teaching in parables and showing unlimited compassion upon those who were willing to accept his ministry. And then the story of betrayal and the good news, the gospel, the death, burial, and resurrection. And it is the book of John that records these stories from the first person perspective of a friend. A best friend. The disciple whom Jesus loved. Not just part of the twelve that Jesus chose to establish his ministry through. Not just part of the inner circle of three that Jesus would invest more time in them than the others. But the disciple whom Jesus loved. And history records he is the only one of the disciples not to die a martyr's death. And it's John who would live long enough to see the return of the Lord through visions that he recorded in the book. Of Revelation. This captivating book of John is such a good place for someone who is beginning to search the scriptures, hoping to find eternal life, because it grabs your attention from the very first line. And then in such a comfortable manner, just like an old friend sharing stories with you as you sit by a fireplace on a crisp autumn evening. John unfolds the story of the ministry of Jesus Christ in a manner that is very clear. And this morning we focus upon one of those stories. A conversation that Jesus had with another one of his disciples, a man named Nathaniel. Nathaniel's not the first person that Jesus called and offered the invitation of a lifetime to follow him, but it is perhaps the most interesting. Early in chapter 1 of John, we read the description of the ministry of a man commonly called John the Baptist. Not to be confused with the man who wrote the book of John, but another who shared that same name. A man that Jesus would call the greatest of all the prophets. Because his role was to announce the coming of the Messiah and prepare the way for his arrival. John the Baptist was responsible for filling every valley, bringing down every mountain and hill, making the crooked way straight and the rough way smooth. He was sent to prepare the way for the Lord. And John the Baptist was given the unbelievable privilege, the high honor of baptizing Jesus. A necessary portion of the Jewish tradition that would prepare Jesus for the role of high priest. It was not because he had sin in his life, but because he was entering in the priesthood that this baptism was necessary. And it was at that time that John saw the Spirit descending like a dove. A sign to John that this man from Nazareth was the promised one. 
who would soon baptize with the Holy Ghost. Yes, yes. So John the Baptist is willing to sacrifice his own power and his own ministry, declaring that he must decrease so that the Lord must increase. And he introduces Jesus as the Lamb of God who taketh away the sin of the world. It's the next day that two of those who had been following John the Baptist, one who is identified by name as Andrew, and most scholars agree the second was most likely John, the writer of this gospel himself, who often, even though he had personal first-hand knowledge of Jesus, referred to himself in the third person. And in what reads to me is a very awkward question. When Jesus sees Andrew and the man we believe to be John following him and asks them, you know, what are you doing? What is it that you want? They fumble around for words and can only manage to say, where dwellest thou? To me, that is such a childish question. They say, uh, where do you live? And the answer they receive is the same answer given to every hungry soul who desires to seek after the Lord. Jesus tells them, come and see. I want to remind you that God still is a rewarder of them that diligently seek Him. All we need to do is find ourselves in a place where we desire to know more about God. And He will give us that same answer. Come and see. At this point, these men don't know everything about who it is that they found. But they understand enough to share what they know. And the first thing Andrew does is go to his brother, whose name at that time was Simon, and declare, we have found the Messiah, the Christ, the Anointed One, the one that the Old Testament has promised our people would come. And so Simon comes to meet Jesus, who promptly changes his name to Peter. And the next day, Jesus travels into Galilee, where he finds Philip and tells him, follow me. And then Philip finds Nathanael. And we read about their conversation beginning in verse 45. Philip says, we have found him of whom Moses and the law and the prophets did write, Jesus of Nazareth. The son of Joseph. Now with all due respect, Philip, of all the disciples, never has come across as the sharpest tool in the ship. I'm not saying this elevator didn't go all the way up to the top floor, but I think it was kind of slow in the process of getting there at times. Philip has not quite figured out exactly who Jesus is. He does not yet understand what Paul would explain, that the fullness of the Godhead is in him 
bodily. Because it's later that same Philip that would ask Jesus, just show us the Father and we'll be satisfied. Only to receive a mild rebuke when Jesus asked, have I been with you so long and you still do not know who I am? But I'll tell you this morning, I'm glad Philip asked that question. Because it really helped me when I was able to read Jesus explaining to Philip, if you have seen me, you have seen the Father. So don't get too caught up on Philip referring to Jesus as the son of Joseph in this conversation. There's a lot of people at that time that believe that to be the case. People who didn't understand it was the Holy Ghost who overshadowed Mary, causing her to be with child, not Joseph. He was only the earthly father, if I can say it like that. You could probably say the most significant stepfather of all time. And I would like to stand up for Philip this morning and point out that even if he did not understand all that the Bible would reveal to us, he at least knew enough to bring people to Jesus. Because he understood that Jesus was the Messiah. So it's important that we learn a few lessons from Philip this morning. If you want to do a work for God, especially if you desire to be a soul winner, don't imagine that you have to understand all mysteries first. Don't get caught up in thinking about how you must be an eloquent speaker. Don't think you have to be as knowledgeable as Paul, understanding even things that would be unlawful for you to share. Just know how to bring people to where Jesus is and let the Lord take over. Let me be very careful when I make that statement because there are ditches on both sides of the road. It is not my desire to establish a culture here at the sanctuary where the thought process is, well, All I need to do is just bring someone to church and then let the professionals, meaning the preacher and his wife, the people on the platform, they can do all the talking. They can be the ones to teach the Bible study. They can explain how to be born again. That's not the culture we desire here at the sanctuary. Now, I will tell you, I love doing those things. I desire more time to be free to teach more Bible studies. But we need a culture at the sanctuary where we all say, I can teach about it. Even if I don't understand the difference between the seven trumpets and the seven seals and the book of Revelation, I can still point someone to Acts 2.38. I can still pick up a copy of Into a Smartest Light read through those scriptures and help them fill in the blanks. I can still share the story of what happened to me when I was baptized in Jesus' name. When I received the Holy Ghost and the evidence of speaking in tongues. You have a testimony. It's the power of our testimony that will help us overcome and will bring others into the kingdom. 
We should all be diligently studying the Word of God, desiring to gain wisdom and understanding. But quit disqualifying yourself from doing a work for God just because you fear someone might ask a question that you don't know the answer to. Just tell them the truth and then find out the answer. Our goal is not to stay like Philip is here, where we only know a portion of truth. But like Philip, we should not let what we don't yet understand stop us from doing what we already know the Lord desires for us to do. The second lesson we can see in Philip is his refusal to be discouraged by the first reaction he received when he shared what he had found. In verse 36, we read the question from Nathaniel, can there any good thing come out of Nazareth? A very common opinion held in the days of Jesus Christ. Nazareth was a town in the region of Galilee looked down upon by the majority of the Jewish culture. Jerusalem was the city considered to be the fountain of knowledge. That is where the temple was. That is where if you were a spiritual person, you certainly would live. And Nazareth was just a place that provided grain and fish. Unfit for anyone who desired a spiritual experience. Especially vile because it was a military camp where the Roman soldiers had introduced an abundance of sinful practices. But when Nathaniel criticizes the city where our Savior was raised and expressed doubt that anything good could ever be found there, Philip doesn't say, well, I tried. I guess that's just not going to work. But he responds with the same message that he received. Come and see. So Philip brings Nathanael to Jesus. And the Lord reaches out to Nathanael in a very personal and specific way. First, he addresses Nathanael as a man in whom there is no God. Meaning that with Nathanael, what you see is what you get. He's not going to pull any punches. He's not going to go behind your back pretending to agree with you when he thinks you're wrong. Nathanael is an honest person. Honest with himself and with others. So when Nathaniel made that snarky comment about Nazareth, that's what he really believed. That's what he felt. And when Jesus describes him as a man in whom there is no guile, Nathaniel is taken aback because it resonates with him. He knows that is true. That's how Jesus knows you this morning. He understands more about us than we can see in ourselves. And Nathaniel says, how do you know me? When have we ever met before? 
explain how you could describe me so accurately. And the answer is our focus this morning. Jesus tells Nathaniel, before Philip ever had that conversation with you, before he ever invited you to come and see me, I saw you when you were under the fig tree. I can tell you this morning that I don't know exactly what Nathaniel was doing under the fig tree. Perhaps he was spending time in prayer and reading the prophets. Perhaps he was making a commitment to the Lord that was very significant to him. Maybe he was praying for the Messiah to come and promising that he would follow him if given that privilege and opportunity. We just don't know. But it could be that he was in desperate need and cried out to God. Perhaps he found himself in a place that day where he had nowhere else to turn. Maybe Nathaniel was experiencing doubt and needed a specific answer from the Lord. Maybe he was seeking confirmation that the Lord knew where he was and cared about him. Whatever was going on in Nathaniel's mind at that moment under the fig tree, Jesus heard every word. Jesus knew every thought process. And he made sure that Nathaniel knew he was listening. And what I desire to convey to you from the word of God this morning is that Jesus knows where you are. He knows what you're feeling right now, just like he saw Nathaniel. The Bible does say that he knew us in our mother's womb. He knows that the very numbers of our head, the Bible says they are numbered, not just how many, but where every one of them is. Most of you have heard those scriptures over and over. And I remind you again, they are still true no matter how many times you hear them referred to. And there have been times in my life when I have been in what you might call an under the fig tree moment. When it was only later that I discovered how specifically the Lord had been listening to me. Forgive me for making personal references today. I don't ordinarily do that, but something within me desires to just share from personal experience that this story about Nathaniel is not just about Nathaniel. It's about each one of us. Before Sister Copeland was Sister Copeland, before anyone ever called me Brother Copeland, when we were just Missy and Jonathan, Two sinners bound to be eternally separated from God. A conversation happened at a restaurant I can't remember which one. I think O'Charles. And we made the decision together that we would turn our course towards God. 
Not knowing everything about what that meant, but just desiring Him. We didn't know exactly who God was and certainly did not understand what He expected us to do. But we were being drawn by Him. Something inside of us was not satisfied with the world. And we began reading the Word of God. Really, to be honest, the best thing I should say is Sister Copeland began reading the Word of God. Hours pouring through the Bible, seeking answers to our questions. And then we would debate about it. Pitting our backgrounds and our belief systems against each other. And visiting churches. We ask that same question that's so often asked in our world today. Why are there so many churches? And which one is right if any of them are? There is only one God. And as far as I knew, there was only one Bible. You know, the Holy Bible. So why do so many people have so many different ideas about what it says? We desire for the confusion to come to an end. And one day as we were talking, I remember looking at Sister Copeland and halfway complaining. And it went a little something like this. I said, it just doesn't seem fair to me that in the Old Testament, God spoke to people, told them exactly where to go, what to do. And the New Testament, he comes in the flesh. You can go ask him a question, and he gives you an answer right then and there. You might not understand it, but you can try to figure it out. And then the disciples will say, that doesn't make any sense. What do you mean? And he'd explain it. Yes. And I felt like here we are today with all of these questions. Yes. Why doesn't God talk to people now? It's yes. just not fair. Why doesn't that happen anymore? If he'd just tell me what he wanted me to do, I would do it. I don't care anymore what it is. I'll get on a plane and go across the world. Whatever God says do, I'll do it. If he would just tell me. I was under a big tree and didn't realize it. It was about a week later that I stepped inside a United Pentecostal church for only the second time in my life. That place where I thought, these people are either crazy or they know something about God that I don't know yet. And it happened. During the middle of service, a man, the first the congregation relatively fell silent. Then a man stood up and began speaking loudly in a language that I had never heard before. Now, I'm not telling you this as a way of bragging, but it's relevant to the story. I was employed at the time as a high school English teacher. I was either still working on or had just finished my master's degree. And so I felt I knew enough about languages to recognize that this was not just gibberish. It wasn't just babbling some noise that someone made up. When that person spoke, I instantly recognized it was a legitimate language. There were natural pauses and inflections that would be expected when someone was speaking. 
but it was a language I did not know. Then a person on the road behind me stood up and in a loud voice in English spoke. And I knew without a doubt, even though I'd never seen it in the Bible and it's certainly there in multiple places, I knew that person was telling me what God had just said. I knew in my spirit and in my mind this is God. He does still talk to people. He's talking to me right now. Just like what I asked for. It was one of those under the fig tree moments where God said, I heard what you said. I was listening and I'm answering that desire right now. It was a short time after that that I really started joining my wife and started reading the Word myself a lot more than I ever had. And God began dealing with me, giving me this undeniable feeling that I must be baptized. I had done it before when I was a kid. You know, my parents went to a new church. They had to be baptized or we couldn't join the church. So everyone had to be baptized. I thought it was kind of fun. Not being disrespectful, to be, but to be honest, one of the coolest parts was all the time it took us to change back into clothes and use a hair dryer and all that. After we were finished, we got to miss most of the service. It was almost time to go home. So I thought it was great. But nothing changed in me through that experience. But God continued to deal with me. I must be baptized. I don't know why. I don't understand because I think I've done it before, but something inside of me, it consumed my thought process. And so I was baptized. And when I was baptized, the person who administered the baptism spoke the name of Jesus Christ verbally over me when I went down in the water. And in the days following that experience, I found online a sermon that was called Biblical Teachings of Baptism. And I thought, well, I just did that. I might as well learn a little bit more about what happened. And when I listened to that sermon, I still remember sitting on the couch, the computer, and our upstairs playing loud enough for me to hear the word of God in my hand. Sister Copeland came home from work, tears in my eyes. She's confused, thinking, what in the world is going on? Because God was again speaking directly to me. All of the questions that I had, all of the hurdles in between me and full understanding of what God wanted me to do. One by one, that preacher on that sermon was slashing them left and right. Every single thing that caused me stress, everything that was a reason I had for not following what I saw in the Word of God was dealt with. The Lord spoke to me again about what He desired for me to do. And so I continued reading the Word of God, amazed that I wasn't just a number in this world of billions of people, but that God cared about who I was and the questions I had about Him. 
And through studying the word of God, I started to reach the conclusion that I needed to be baptized with his spirit. I saw examples in the word of God where every time that happened to someone, they spoke in a language they had never learned. And so one night, I closed my Bible as I was reading through the book of Matthew. And I asked God a simple question. I said, okay, I get it. I see it. I I want this to happen. But when is that going to happen to me? I wasn't literally sitting under a big tree. I was in the recliner about in the middle of our living room at the time. But God saw me. He heard me. Yes, he did. And he answered again. Not in an audible voice. I would love to have that experience. But in that still, small voice, I thought in my mind that I knew did not come from me. It was one word. The Lord spoke to me and said, soon. And it was that next day in church where there was what we would call a runaway service. People worshiping, dancing, praising God. No preaching even happened. And I was kind of waiting on an altar call. Like, I, I really want to go pray. Someone's <laughs> got to go talk first and then invite us up there and then I can go pray. And finally I said, I'm about to miss out. Things seem to be kind of winding down. Nothing's going to stop me. I'm walking up there anyway. I pray for about 15 or 20 seconds. Remember taking my glasses off, setting them on the altar. My face, I didn't know because I couldn't see, right up in the flower arrangement there. And I simply prayed, Lord, I want to experience everything you have for me. I lifted my hands. I don't even know if I got out the first hallelujah before I would describe it like rivers of living water coming out of my belly. That's what it was. I remember my mouth being sore from doing things it had never done before. I had been speaking in a language I had never learned. And it was, I'm not sure, a week or two, sometime later, could have been even longer than that, that God brought back to my remembrance another fig tree moment in my life when I was just a young child. Again, I don't mean to be disrespectful. I'm not trying to bash a group of people, but I had been taught that as long as I asked Jesus to come live in my heart, then it had happened and he was there. And as a young child, I'd lie in bed at night and I would pray. I don't even know if I knew I was praying, but I'd just talk to Jesus and I'd say, if you are really there, I don't understand why I can't feel you there. I just really need to know. Lord, I don't want to go to hell. I want you to be in my heart. If you would just let me know for sure that you're there. And I would kind of, almost like I was hugging the air, wanting to feel Jesus in my heart. And then, eventually drift off to sleep. Sometimes I'd kind of feel like, okay, everything's all right, but it wouldn't be very long before I'd find myself in the bed at night trying to go to sleep, wondering, is Jesus really in my heart? I don't feel him there. I'm not sure. But God had heard 
under that big tree lying in my bed at night. And it was not until I was 30 years old that I had that encounter with Jesus when he told me, I saw you when you prayed. But nonetheless, he did. He answered that prayer. And when I was filled with the Holy Ghost with the evidence of speaking and a language I'd never learned, from that day forward, I have never wondered right. if he really is right. in Hallelujah. my heart. I haven't purchased it yet, but I've seen a book that is apparently very popular, and the title of it is Quit Asking Jesus Into Your Heart. And the concept is people who have been taught that, that still over and over and over again recite what I would have called the sinner's prayer, just hoping for that moment where it clicks and it works and they aren't confused and wondering and doubting their salvation anymore. I feel such a burden for those people. I feel such a passion to share truth because I was that person. And when God filled me with His Spirit, it eliminated that confusion. And this morning, it is my desire to somehow convince you that if the story of Nathaniel is not enough, if the stories of my life are not enough, I want you to know that God sees you. He knows your thoughts. He understands your needs. He knows the prayers you have prayed. He sees you under the big tree today. Just like Nathaniel, I don't know exactly what you're facing this morning. God hasn't given me a vision of anyone specifically here that needs to hear a specific word for him. God hasn't told me about anyone who's been crying out to him. But I had a sermon that I was in the middle of preparing. I had a graphic already ready for the screen. And I believe that God dropped this thought in my mind. To speak about this morning under the big tree. You might be under the big tree this morning. You might have been under the big tree a year ago. You might have prayed prayers 20 years ago, 30 years ago that still are unanswered. God heard every single word. And He's here today desiring to confirm in you that He saw you under the big tree. In verse 49, Nathanael responded to the declaration from Jesus that he had seen him under the fig tree in a manner that we should always respond to the voice of God. Nathanael worshipped him and acknowledged who he was. Nathanael said, Rabbi, which means teacher, thou art the Son of God. Not the Son of Joseph, the Son of God. Yes. Thou art the King of Israel. Yes. And when Nathaniel makes that declaration, it gets so much better than just a, I saw you under the fig tree kind of moment. Jesus says this in verse 50. 
Because I said unto thee, I saw thee under the fig tree, believest thou? And you've got to listen to this wonderful promise. This is part of what the Lord wants you to know this morning. Thou shalt see greater things than these. Greater things than these. The same God who saw Nathaniel, the same God who I know answered my prayer, sees you here this morning. And the same God who understood what type of person Nathaniel was and knew exactly what to say to get his attention knows exactly who you are because don't forget He created you. Yes, yes He did. Hallelujah. You are designed in His image. And if you will respond in the same manner that Nathaniel responded, if you will worship Him in the manner in which He deserves today, then the same promise is available to you. He will answer that prayer. He will respond to your cry. He will do even greater things than that. All you need to do is just reach out to Him right now. Be just like the thing. Let there be no guile found in you. Don't pretend in the presence of the Lord. Just be honest with Him. Are you scared? Tell Him about it. He already knows. Are you worried? Explain to Him why. Talk it out. Be open and honest with the Lord. If you have doubts, Ask for confirmation. Are you experiencing unbelief? Then ask Him to help your unbelief. So often we shortchange God by believing that He exists and believing He works miracles for other people, but somehow separating ourselves from His promises, believing that for whatever reason, maybe something in our past Maybe something in our mind that we just can't fix. We think God won't do it for us. That is a lie from the devil. God loves you. He desires to answer your prayer. He saw you under the fig tree and he sees you right now this morning. So without delay, I want to invite you to this altar. It's a very simple call. It's a very simple message. God loves you. And He hears you. He knows exactly what you need. I might not know. Your best friend, your spouse may not know.
Even if you don't feel the need to pray for yourself. There are people here that need you to pray. We need an atmosphere of prayer. We need God to have an easy way to work and move this morning. If you tell me a tornado is going to happen this afternoon, I'm going to be very skeptical because the current situation in the atmosphere is not conducive for a tornado to spring up out of nowhere. There have to be certain conditions in place first. And if God is going to do what I think He desires to do this morning, we need an atmosphere of prayer. We need an atmosphere of faith. We need some people that say, I believe that. It's in the Word of God, and I know that it's true. We need an apostolic atmosphere so God can work this morning. Reach out to Him. He desires to answer.